from CBSSports.com, Shahan Jayaraja. Shahan, good morning, man. We appreciate your time today, as always. Yeah, thanks as always for having me. Let, let's begin with college football, and let's begin in the Big 12. Uh, the commissioner, Bob Bowlesby, has, uh, has resigned his position. First of all, what was your response when you saw that last week? And, and secondly, what, what, should, what should it look like when, when the committee starts putting together the list of candidates to replace Bowlesby? It does it, do, you, do we need somebody very similar to how he managed this thing? Or, 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 or would a new look and fresh blood be, be a good thing for the league? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, to answer your first question, I, I mean, it was surprising when it happened, but it wasn't surprising when you thought about it, right? I mean, Bob Bowlesby is 70 years old. Uh, he still has three years left on his contract, but, uh, you know, he kind of said it in, in his statement. You know, the, the Big 12 is about to head into a really tumultuous time, a really critical time for the league. They're going to be renegotiating their new television agreements. They're going to be integrating these teams back into the league. Of course, there's still the conversation about college football playoff expansion. And so, you know, I, I think thinking about it a little more, you know, these aren't questions that are going to be answered in the next year or two, you know, or even in the next three years. These are things that are going to, you know, have long ranging implications for the league for whoever takes over next. And so, uh, you know, I, I think the timing makes a lot of sense from that perspective. It, it was still a little surprising. I mean, because obviously Bob Bowlesby has led this league since 2012. <laughs> and so, you know, whenever you have turnover in that kind of position, it's a little bit of a surprise, but you know, I, I think the timing is right. So I'm curious to see where they kind of go with it. And, you know, when looking for a candidate, I, I think that they will try to find somebody who maybe does have not, not a similar background per se to Bob Bowlesby, but, you know, that sort of profile. Uh, Bob Bowlesby was a, a, uh, a athletic director at Stanford, one of the, the top athletic directors in the country when he was hired to be commissioner of the Big 12. Uh, and I think that they really are going to try to look for somebody who is a little bit of a uh, of a college sports insider per se. You know, I think in contrast to somebody like Kevin Warren, who came from the NFL, who leads the Big Ten now. In in contrast to George Kliatkov, who leads uh, the Pac-12 now after coming from the gaming world. I think they are going to try to find somebody who does have a background in college sports, who does have uh, a background in college football as well. And you know, I mean, I, I think that it's easier to to get consultants who understand the media world to maybe help out with those negotiations than it is to find somebody who understands the, the dynamics of college sports. Uh, so I, I think that they're going to try to stick in that same sort of direction, whether it's an athletic director, whether, you know, uh, there's been some talk that maybe there could be some internal promotion at the Big 12 office. Uh, but, but I do think that it ends up being somebody who's a little bit more in that college athletics world. The Aggies had their spring game on Saturday and a quarterback battle down in College Station. I know it all revolves around the quarterback, but is that the most important position for Jimbo Fisher to get solidified going into the fall? Oh, no question about it. I, I mean, I think that you just have to look at last season to see how you know detrimental quarterback play can be to what they want to do. I, I mean, Zach Calzada really struggled last season. And the team that entered the year top 10 in the country ended up finishing eight and four. And so I think that heading into this next year, you know, Haynes King, who won the quarterback battle out of camp last year, is back. But, you know, he, he hasn't been incredibly impressive so far. 
so they did add two big names to the room. Connor Wegman, the number two quarterback in the 2022 recruiting class. Max Johnson, an LSU transfer who has had some success in the SEC. Uh, I, I think that, you know, if you need to know how important it is for Jimbo Fisher to get this right, I mean, Jimbo Fisher has not taken a transfer quarterback since arriving at Texas A&M, and he's only started one transfer quarterback uh, during his entire time as a head coach, and that was Everett Golson back in 2015, who later was benched. So I, I think that this is an indicator that he really understands that they need to get this right, and especially after this past year when Texas A&M had a, a multitude of players who are going to be picked in the NFL draft, especially on the defense side of the ball, to, to come away with only an 8-4 and four record with that kind of team, with that kind of talent on the roster, uh, I mean, truly was unacceptable. And so I think that I think that Jimbo Fisher was very aggressive to try to fill the need right now. But if they don't find somebody that really can work for them, I think that it's going to be a lot of the same uh, this upcoming year. Shayhan, kind of going off of that, uh, I was I watched the the spring game. I was really impressed with Evan Stewart, and it got me thinking about Baylor's situation and how we really don't know who's going to emerge as a, their top receiver. More than likely, Gavin Holmes with the experience. But when you look at Amani Winfield and what he was able to accomplish and coming in, do you think he could kind of step up and provide a similar role for Baylor that Evan Stewart could do for A&M? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that Armani Stewart's a great player. I uh, I think that he has a ch- or Armani Winfield, not Armani Stewart. Uh, I I think that he has a chance to to really come in and be a big time player. He obviously played at a high level program coming out of high school, um, you know, and, and playing in that top classification of Texas, I think, can really uh, kind of prepare you in a way. And so I, I do think that that he has a chance to maybe come in and be a really dynamic player for Baylor because. That's the biggest thing that they're looking for right now, right? I mean, I think that they have a lot of solid options. Like you mentioned, Gavin Holmes was somebody, uh, when he was healthy, was, who was a great possession receiver for them, and I think he has a lot of upside. Um, you know, and, and I do think that they have some names. I, I like the fact that they've got some nice tight ends in that room. I like the fact that they've got, you know, some guys who are going to get open. But I do think that to have a guy who can maybe fill that Taekwon Thornton role and take the top off a of defense, I, I like the idea of Armani Winfield being able to come in and uh, and contribute right away. So, you, you know, look, Evan Stewart was one of the top, top ten players in the country. You know, he, he is one of the best receivers in the country right now. But, you know, I, I think that Armani Winfield still has a chance to maybe come in and be a contributor right away. Go back over to the SEC for just a second. Let's talk about Auburn. I mean, what an interesting situation uh, they're in. Six and seven a year ago, nearly – I don't know how to describe it. The, the boosters nearly, nearly – Got that staff run off, but somehow Brian Harson and and the and the staff uh, have have remained intact. So, what have they got to do in, in terms of wins to to kind of settle things down and and continue to proceed with uh, with their program? Yeah, I mean it's it's as close as we come in college athletics to an attempted coup, right? And <laughs> yeah. so, I, I think at the end of the day, you know. It's interesting, right, because there's so many different factors, I think, that Brian Harson struggled with in his first season. And, you know, it's easy to point to the 6-7 record, which I think was disappointing, especially after the way that they kind of started pretty well. I think it's, uh, it's easy to point to maybe losing the faith of some of the players. I mean, obviously, Bo Nix transferring. Uh, Bo Nix was kind of Mr. Auburn in a lot of ways, the son of a former starting quarterback at Auburn, a, a former five-star recruit. So when he left the program, I think that was definitely a, a poor indicator. And, and certainly the recruiting, I think, has been very concerning from an Auburn perspective, right? I mean, you know, they, they weren't competing for some of these top prospects. They didn't have a guy in the top 150 commit to Auburn. 
so I, I think that there's a lot of ways that he can show growth, though, from that same perspective. On the field is going to be his first priority, of course. I, I, so last year, you know, he kind of has these two guys, Derek Mason and Mike Boba, who are these longtime SEC coordinators. These kind of, you know, I, I don't want to call them just good old boys, but, you know, a little bit like that. And this year he's going to have guys who are with him at Boise State. So this is very much his staff. This is very much his opportunity to put his imprint on the program. And, you know, to, to really kind of quiet people down, I think they need to push for eight or nine wins. I, I think that they need to be competitive. I think that they need to, you know, beat a team that's in the top 15, top 10. They need to compete with Alabama. They, you know, obviously they, they do play on the road next year at Alabama, so I don't think anybody expects them to win that game. But they need to be competitive in that game. They can't get embarrassed. And so, uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot of things that I think that Brian Harson can do to win people back over, but uh, but none of them are easy. Of the new schools coming into the Big 12 eventually, which one is imperative that they have a good fall this season to try to help their footprint coming into the Big 12? Yeah, and that, that's a good question. I mean, certainly all of them, I, and I think that all of them are kind of in a great position, but I'm actually very intrigued by Cincinnati because Cincinnati, you know, of course, makes the college football playoff last year. But this was kind of the first wave of great players who came through the program, right? I mean, Desmond Ritter is somebody who was in the program for four years. Kobe Bryant's at cornerback, uh, Sauce Gardner. These are guys who, who started for three, four years for this program and were kind of proven commodities and helped them be successful. And so I think that sometimes you learn about the state of a program and the future of a program most when you do have a period of turnover, you know, is it going to be plug and play? Are they going to be a 10 win team even after losing as much as they have? I, I think that that's where it's most interesting to me. You know, is it that you got a great class a couple of years ago and you kind of just wrote that or, or is this something where it's sustainable growth? And I certainly think it's sustainable growth. I think that they've done a great job of identifying and developing talent uh, from, from really day one at Cincinnati under Luke Fickle. But, but this is going to be the moment where we kind of get to see if this is a, again, a, a one-year blip or whether it's a dynasty. And it's actually, you know, to be honest, it's kind of like Baylor, I think, in a lot of ways, too. You know, I mean, this is going to be a great opportunity for both of these programs, I think, to prove that we've got more in the tank, we've got players who fit our system, we've got players who, who can fill some of these gaps. And it's not just that we... You know, not 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 to to be guys, but you know, kind of lucked into some really really good players. You know, this is something that that we did as a coaching staff to really get our roster where it needed to be. So I, I'm going to be watching Cincinnati very closely because I think that uh, that whether they're able to have kind of 10 win success this upcoming year is going to kind of decide whether they're able to be that kind of program long term. I kind of want to piggyback off of that. Uh, so when you look at Cincinnati, they obviously made the the CFP last year. Baylor was on the outside looking in. Uh, and Utah has been really good, uh, and they continue to build up there. Those three teams, to me, are probably going into this season like dark horses to make a CFP run. Are, who are some of the teams you're looking at that, that have an option to do that? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so one of the first ones that comes to mind for me is NC State out in the ACC. Uh, they bring back a ton on the defensive side of the ball, and they bring back one of the more experienced quarterbacks in the ACC in Devin Leary. So they kind of have everything lining up right in the second. Uh, they, I mean, I, honestly, NC State, 
Uh, I mean, I, I could go on a long diatribe about this, but, you know, NC State is kind of a program that's been waiting and waiting and waiting to have that breakout moment in so many ways, especially under Dave Doran, who I think has done a really nice job. And, and I think that there's a lot of reasons to believe that this could be that year. I mean, there's, there's turnover, of course, at Clemson. Uh, there's turnover at quarterback at North Carolina. Yeah, I think that this could be a year that makes a lot of sense for them to really break into that top group. You know, I, I mean, I don't know if I'd call them a, a dark horse, but I'm really intrigued to see what uh, what USC does under Lincoln Riley in his first season. I, I mean, obviously they go four and eight last season, but I don't think that's representative of the quality of the team. I mean, this is a team that was expected to come in and compete for the Pac-12 and kind of just fell apart after they fired their coach in week two. So I, I do think that there's more upside there than maybe what they showed this past season. And, and I do think that, you know, I'm not saying that they're going to go 12 and one right away, but uh, you know, I think that they have a chance to push for 10 wins and maybe get into the dark horse side of that comp, uh, conversation. And and that that game against Utah, actually, USC plays Utah. That'll be one of the bigger games of the year, I think, and, and it'll be kind of fun to watch that one. Jayhan, I'm gonna kind of get you to give us a state of the the union, if you will, on the on the state of college football. I was thinking about it the other day, just. We're almost at a crossroads, uh, in my opinion. I mean, you have obviously the the NIL situation. You have uh, the transfer portal. You have the expanded college football playoff. You know, once upon a time, you hired a coach and a coaching staff. And you gave them three, four, five years to build their program. Well, that's not the case anymore. Nowadays, you almost have to re-recruit your players every day. Is college football, in your opinion, at a healthy point right now today here in April? I think college football is at a transitional point in a lot of ways. And uh, NIL is a big part of that. You mentioned, I mean, the, the money coming up. Obviously, I think a lot of the new TV contracts that are going to be coming up. It's going to create, I think, another wave of kind of uncertainty and, and certainly realignment itself. And so I would say that the sport is healthy but is in a, in a little bit of a tenuous place. And the biggest reason that I say that isn't NIL or anything like that. I, I do think that, you know, conference consolidation is a really poor thing for the sport. I mean, if we see, you know, more teams, because obviously the SC is going to be pushing to 16 teams with Texas and Oklahoma going, you know, I, I don't think concentration in one region of the country is a good thing for the sport. I mean, because when that happens, you're kind of discounting the entire, I mean, the, the entire West, basically. I mean, basically, West of the Mississippi is almost being discounted as, as college football markets, and I think that's terrible for the sport. And so, you know, I, I think that's going to be tough. I hope that college football playoff expansion, which you know, I, I think we all expect will happen down the road in 2026, uh, even if it doesn't happen in 2024, I, I think that'll help a little bit. But, you know, I, I think that having a level of consolidation would be poor for the sport, especially if we keep heading in that direction. Um, you know, and, and I do think that uh, that you look around. I mean, it's just a new world. Right? I mean, NIL's new. The transfer portal in the way that it is now is new. I, I think that from that perspective, we will kind of work through some of those issues. You know, the market will be set when it comes to transfers. The market will be set when it comes to NIL. And when that happens, I don't think it'll be as tumultuous a force as it's kind of been maybe in these first couple of years of each of those things. So we're at a crossroads, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think that it's certainly possible to break out of it and, and kind of still have a great college football product. But uh, but I think that long-term, it's really consolidation that, that's most concerning to me about the future of college football. Is the transfer portal out of control right now in college basketball? Because 
You look at LSU, they have zero scholarships right now. You look at St. Peter's, they are losing guys right and left. Kansas State hires a new coach, well, they're losing guys. And even the the defending national champion, Kansas, they have three guys that have jumped in the transfer portal already. Is it out of control, and how do we get it back in control? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely – college basketball is such a weird one when it comes to that because – it is so possible to kind of like change the complexion of your team with the with the transfer portal. Uh, you know, I think college football you can really only use it to fill holes. You can't kind of build a team behind it completely. Whereas I think in college basketball, in a lot of cases, you can. So, you know, I, I, it's tough. I, I think that it would be bad to not give players the opportunity to find situations that are good for them. But I do think you know something that we've talked about in college football a little bit is having like specific windows to enter the transfer portal and having specific, you know, guidelines around that. And I I think that that might make some sense, you know, if we do sort of have a a few more rules around it so that it's, you know, it's a little bit more straightforward, but I do think that part of it is just the nature of college basketball. I mean, we've had one and done for so long where you're kind of flipping over that part of your roster. You you know, we have, uh, we've had transfers for a long time. And so, I do think that part of it is just the nature of college basketball and kind of just having more of a, a flippable roster in a lot of ways. But but I agree. I mean, look, it, it certainly, as, as a fan, I think, must suck. You know, if you're a St. Peter's fan and all your players leave right after you lose your coach, I mean, that, that's a tough situation to be in after going on such a historic run. But, uh, you know, again, I think part of it is just the nature of the sport. Before we let you get out of here, I need to know, did you sleep in that home field apparel shirt? <laughs> no, you can't. You can't sleep in it. It's gonna fade that way. It's gonna fade. You gotta. <laughs> you gotta keep it for the. Gotta keep it out for the special occasion. I just had to check, man. <laughs> Shayhan, what are you guys uh, working on for CBSSports.com? Yeah, I've got some stuff coming up uh, about more of the spring games. I actually just put some stuff out about last week's spring games. I'll be writing about Miami this upcoming week, and so uh, check all that out at CBSSports.com. Hey, just a curiosity, you're gonna be in town on the 23rd for Baylor's. Actually, I'm going to be out of the country, unfortunately, but uh, but I will be following along uh, uh, from abroad, uh, but but unfortunately, no, I will not. All right. Hey, Shehan, thanks as always for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We'll see you later. Shehan Jayaraja from CBSSports.com.